Thanks so much for leading us in prayer, Elizabeth. Uh, Good morning, everyone. It's nice to add to Simon's welcome. If you have your Bible, please do open with me to Daniel chapter 4. It is a long chapter, as Simon said earlier. Glenn read it very well. Uh, Thank you for doing that, Glenn. But there is one single main point to this big, long chapter, and it is found in the final verse. Those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. These are the last words of King Nebuchadnezzar in the chapter, and they are, in fact, his last words in the whole book of Daniel. They give us, clearly, the main lesson of the chapter. And I want to show you how the actual structure of this section of the book of Daniel emphasizes clearly that this chapter and the next are all about God humbling the proud. Most of the book of Daniel is written in Hebrew, but the section that we've been in for the past little while is actually written in Aramaic. It kind of makes a book within a book. And the Aramaic structure of the book is really intentional. Let me just show you what I mean. It's, it's like a sandwich. So chapters 2 and 7 make the top and the bottom of the literary sandwich. We read in chapters 2 and 7 of two dreams, King Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2 and Daniel's dream in chapter 7. And what is the, what is the main point of those chapters? Well, earthly kingdoms will in the end fall, but the kingdom of God will endure forever. Then the next layer of the sandwich comes in chapters 3 and 6. You get two trials. Do you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace? And next week we're going to be in Daniel 6, seeing Daniel's trial in the lion's den. What's the point of those chapters? Well, those who are faithful and humble will be honored, will be lifted up in the end by God. And then you get into the very middle point, the, 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 the filling of the sandwich, chapters 4 and 5. The proud will in the end be humbled. Chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar's pride, how he's humbled, but also how he's restored. And then chapter 5, Belshazzar's pride. Sorry, I said Daniel 6 next week. It'll be in two weeks. Daniel chapter 5 next week. Belshazzar's pride, but he's not restored he ends up being judged by God and executed. So you see the sandwich structure there in this Aramaic, originally written in Aramaic part of the book. The author is compiling it to get our attention, to make this simple point. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The message is clear. And Daniel chapter 4 that we're going to be zooming in on this morning stands as an encouragement for us, but it also stands as a warning to us. Those who walk in pride, God is able to humble. How's that an encouragement? Well, think of the hardest-hearted, proudest unbeliever you know. You think they're so far away from being a Christian. 
Those who walk in pride, God is able to humble. God can humble that person, that son, that daughter, that prodigal, that father, that mother, that friend, that colleague. God can humble them and break them and save them in a moment. That's to encourage us. Keep witnessing. Keep praying. Be patient. Be hopeful. But this chapter's not here just to encourage us. It's also here as a warning for us. Those who walk in pride, God is able to humble. If you find yourself flirting with pride this morning, Christian or non-Christian, this passage calls us to repent and to humble ourselves before God, before God has to step in and humble us. What is pride in Scripture. It's thinking and living like you don't need God. Pride in the Bible is putting yourself in the driver's seat of your life and putting God in the back seat. It's exalting self to the center and wanting everyone to admire us. Pride makes God an afterthought. What does God think of human pride? Well, we're going to see that over this week and next. But there's one very terse proverb, chapter 8, verse 13, where God simply says, pride and arrogance I hate. It's not a question for any of us of asking, do we have pride in our hearts? It's asking, where do we still have pride in our lives and in what way does it show up? This passage invites us to examine ourselves and to keep fighting the sin of pride and choosing to pursue the life of grace and hope-filled humility. God loves to see humility in his people. He hates to see pride in his people. This passage is here to make us a people who delight to say, God, you are God and I am not. You are sovereign and I am not. You must increase and I must decrease. And the passage does this by recording for us Nebuchadnezzar's own account of how he was humbled by God and brought to the realization that God was God and he was not God. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Nebuchadnezzar seems to be converted in the book of Daniel. I don't think I'd ever appreciated that until I studied it more carefully in preparation for this series. This is Nebuchadnezzar's journey from being a proud and arrogant unbeliever to becoming a humble and hope-filled follower of God. And this account is here so that we will learn from it. This is Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. It's one of those stories where you get the end of the story right at the beginning. I don't know if you've seen the movie Forrest Gump. It's one of my favorites where you get really the the whole movie begins at the end with Forrest sitting on a bench and he's about to get a bus, I think, to go and see Jenny. And then he sits there and person after person comes along and he tells them the whole, here's how I came to this point where I'm sitting on this bench right now. Well, that's essentially what we have going on here. Look at verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar makes an announcement. He says, I have something to proclaim to all peoples, nations, and languages. What is the proclamation? Well, it's something very personal. Verse 2. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. 
Notice how personal that is. I want to tell everyone what the Most High God has done for me, the King. Then in verse 3, we get this beautiful poetic statement that gives us the substance of what Nebuchadnezzar has come to see through the revelation of God. Verse 3, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. And it's after this introduction where in verse 4, he says, let me give you the story of how I came from being a pagan unbeliever to where I recognize that the one true living God is the one true living God. Let me tell you my story. And he recounts his story in three main sections. The first is the longest, and I'll spend a lion's share of time there. It's in verses 4 to 27. And here Nebuchadnezzar recounts the time when God warned him of his pride problem. In verse 4, Nebuchadnezzar explains... There was once a time where I was enjoying ease, both at home and in my professional life. That's what he says. Look, I was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. That means my personal life, my professional life, it was all going so well. But then in verse 5, he says something happened that shattered his peace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. He recounts in verses 6 and 7 how he called in his best dream interpreters, but they were unable to help him and give him the interpretation of his dream. You see, the Babylonians had books and loads of um, explanations for what were typical things in dreams and how you could interpret them. But once again here, we see the failure of his pagan Babylonian system of religion. It couldn't set his heart at rest. Then in verse 8, Nebuchadnezzar says, then at last, Daniel came in before me. Now, we've met Daniel a number of times in this book. We've seen him already, a man of God, with a real gift for interpreting mysteries, understanding dreams. God gave Daniel great insight. So over against the darkness of paganism, here was one who walked in the light, Daniel, and who could shed light on the king's troubled heart. So then what you get in verses 10 to 17 is the king recounting his dream to Daniel. The king tells Daniel that in his dream he saw a great tree. And its top reached up to heaven. It had beautiful leaves and abundant fruit. It provided food and shade for all animals and people who rested under it. But then Nebuchadnezzar recounts to Daniel something happened. One described in verse 13 as a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven and called for the tree to be chopped down, for its branches to be stripped bare. A stump was to remain, but the language makes clear that the stump was symbolizing that this was about a person. Verse 15, let him be wet with the dew of heaven that is exposed to the outdoor elements let his portion be with the beasts in the grass. Verse 16, let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. This troubles Nebuchadnezzar deeply, as you can imagine. Could I be 
The guy getting chopped down. In verse 17, we're told the reason for the dream being given. Or perhaps more specifically, we're told why the tree is chopped down in the dream. So that the living would learn that the Most High rules the kingdom of man and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. That was the lesson that was to come from this dream and from what happens in the dream. So in verse 18, after recounting all of that, Nebuchadnezzar pleads with Daniel, who he's named Belteshazzar after his gods, and he says, Daniel, Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation of this dream, because my wise men are useless, but you, I know you have a different spirit. So, Stay with me now as I recount this, verses 19 to 26, Daniel proceeds to give the interpretation to Nebuchadnezzar. He recounts the dream, he gives the interpretation, and he essentially says this, verse 20, the tree you saw, then he gives the description of it, then jump down to verse 22, the tree you saw, it's you, Nebuchadnezzar. You're the tree in the dream. This tree that was strong and tall and had a, an influence that extended far and wide, it depicts that you've grown and you've become strong. Your greatness is renowned. Your dominion extends to the ends of the earth. But then Daniel recounts the details about the tree being chopped down. And in verse 24, he interprets what this means. God is going to chop you down. That's essentially what he says. God is going to humble you, Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to actually cause you to lose your mind to start so that you believe you're an animal. Now, psychologists today, it's interesting, call this kind of thing boanthropy. I looked this up. It's official. Um, it's a psychological disorder where the sufferer starts to believe themselves to be an animal, a kind of psychological disorder. I don't know if any of you have seen on the BBC recently the guy who thought he was a goat and they lived with goats and, and, and for a while. And, and the whole argument was, well, you know, today, you know, who can define what we really are? Each person gets to define. So if he believes he's a goat trapped in a man's body, then who are we to say anything against it? Exposing the kind of moral chaos that ensues when we lose our moorings and our understanding of what it really is to be human. It's called boanthropy. So what's going to happen is Nebuchadnezzar is going to have a psychological disorder and it's going to humble him big time. He's going to go out into the fields with a beast. He's going to start eating grass like an ox. And then verse 25 tells us, until he learns that the Most High God rules over the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. It's a drop the mic moment, if ever there was one. Well, just before we move on from this scene, I just want to make three observations of this part of Nebuchadnezzar's story before we move on. Let's ask, first of all, what is Nebuchadnezzar's big problem as presented in this dream that God gave him? Nebuchadnezzar's big problem in this chapter and in this dream is pride. He's a proud and arrogant man. Three times we read the point of God coming to humble Nebuchadnezzar. 
the lesson he needs to learn. Verse 17, you need to learn that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. Verse 25, you need to learn that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Verse 26, you'll be humbled until you come to know that heaven rules. Nebuchadnezzar was an unbeliever and he didn't realize that God was God and he was not. Nebuchadnezzar didn't understand that everything he had, his position, his power, his authority, his health, and his strength, everything he had, even his next breath, it all came from the true and living God. Nebuchadnezzar did not acknowledge that. Now, we may think we're not like this. We'd never be like that. But in subtle ways, our pride can shine through when we, like Nebuchadnezzar, bask in our accomplishments. When we want people to know our achievements, our commitment, our accomplishments, when we want everyone to admire us, we can find pride in our lives. We can forget that everything we have, including our greatest gifts and abilities, every day of health that enables us to work so that we can gain money and be successful, it all comes from God. You know, the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4, 7 had a very stirring message for a church that had become proud. He looked out in the Corinthians and he said to them, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? That is the message that Nebuchadnezzar needed to hear. Your power, your position, your authority, what do you have that you have not received from God? And if you've received it from God, then why are you boasting as if you did not receive it? Now that applies to every one of us. You think of all your accomplishments, all your successes, all of your blessings, all of your health, all of your strength, everything you have this morning, the fact that you're well enough to be sitting here and that your ears are hearing everything from God. Are you recognizing that you have nothing apart from God and what he has granted you? Or are you strutting about in pride? Have you forgotten how dependent you are. That's the first lesson that we're to draw from Nebuchadnezzar's pride in this scene. Second, look at how gracious God is towards him in this scene. That's the second thing I want us to observe. God gives King Nebuchadnezzar here a revelation. He warns him through this dream. Then, secondly, he gives him a preacher, Daniel, someone who can interpret the dream and apply it to him. And then, if that's not enough, God gives Nebuchadnezzar an opportunity to repent. In verse 27, look, Daniel calls Nebuchadnezzar to repent in light of this dream. He says, you have to break off your sins and practice righteousness. Break off your sin of pride, Nebuchadnezzar. Walk in righteousness. And then look at what Daniel says, there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Repent because there could be hope that God will turn and restore you and change your heart. And then in verse 29, we read that everything went on as normal for Nebuchadnezzar for 12 months. God gave him a message 
a preacher to apply and interpret the message, and then he gave him an opportunity to repent. Now, let's just think about ourselves this morning. God could be speaking to you. He could have you here this morning. He could have been bringing you to this church recently where you would never have thought of coming to a church usually. He could have been bringing you to this church because he wants to speak to you through the revelation of his word. He wants to get your attention. He's given you his word. He's also given you a preacher who's explaining it to the best of his ability, trying to get through a long chapter in as short a time as possible, trying to apply it to your lives. And God now has you here And every breath you get is a new opportunity to repent of your pride. You living as if God isn't there. Arrogantly strutting around as if you're the one at the center of the throne. And everyone should be admiring you. What else do you need? He's given you a message, a messenger, and an opportunity to turn. How gracious. Will you humble yourself and respond to his grace? Or will you continue to just harden your heart and push him away. Well, thirdly, if that's not enough, looking at how gracious God is towards him and in the face of Nebuchadnezzar's pride, third, look at this in this scene at how gracious Daniel is towards King Nebuchadnezzar. I think there's a real lesson for us here. This has really struck me through the week. Here is Daniel. Seeing this pagan king who had orchestrated his arrest The plundering of his home city, remember Daniel was carried away as a prisoner and brought in as a foreigner in a foreign land to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was responsible for all of that, for Daniel being torn away from his family, torn away from everything he knew. Daniel gets the interpretation of the dream. It would have been so easy for Daniel to say, yes, King Nebuchadnezzar's going to get it from God. Yes, this Proud sinner is going to be chopped down. Daniel could have rejoiced in that. Like some overzealous Christians today who seem to enjoy the thought of people getting punishment from God. Verse 19, we read, Daniel was deeply dismayed by this vision. His thoughts alarmed him. And look what he said to King Nebuchadnezzar. May this dream be for your enemies and for those who hate you. Daniel felt compassion for this lost pagan king. Even though this king had wronged him. Daniel felt, oh, something's going to happen to you, Nebuchadnezzar, and I feel sorry for you. But look also, knowing that, feeling that compassion... Daniel did not shirk or pull back from preaching the message that God had given him. This is striking. He didn't dilute the message or mess with it in any way. He preached the reality of God's judgment with grace and compassion. That is the balance that this preacher needs to rediscover and that we all need to rediscover in our day. A message of a holy God who will chop down the arrogance of wicked people. And yet a God who at the same time loves and has compassion for wicked people and does not want any of them to be chopped down, but for them to repent and to turn and come and heed his call to stop sinning and to turn to him for life. Remember, Jesus is the one who came from the Father, not just full of truth, 
full of grace and truth. We need today preachers in our pulpits across this island who will not dilute down the message of the gospel, who will preach it with integrity and honesty and faithfulness, no matter the cost, and who at the same time feel deep love and compassion for those whom they're preaching to. That's what Daniel displays in this scene, and it is powerful. Well, we're left at the end of all this wondering, how will Nebuchadnezzar respond? He's got the message, the messenger, the opportunity to repent. What's he going to do? And that's where he goes next in recounting his story. Scene two, Nebuchadnezzar recounts how he ignored the warning and faced the consequences. Verses 28 to 33. In verse 29, we are fast forwarded to a time 12 months after the gracious warning given to Nebuchadnezzar by God. After a while, the initial fear he felt over the dream must have faded away. You can imagine him, nothing happened. He gets back to business. He must have just thought, all oh, just a bad dream. Maybe a bit too much cheese last night or something like that. Maybe nothing to worry about. Eventually, he forgets the warning and just goes about his life as normal. One day, he's walking out in the roof of his royal palace in Babylon, possibly overlooking the famed hanging gardens, overlooking the city that... To be fair, he did build the most technically advanced and secure city of his day. You can read about Nebuchadnezzar's city that he reinforced, how he got water into it and everything. It was incredible. Here was standing on his palace, looking out like the royal family stand in Buckingham Palace, looking out over the mall. Nebuchadnezzar's just taking it all in and he just says, as the successful self-made man, is this not great Babylon that I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty. He totally forgot the warning. What did we say pride was? Thinking and living like you don't need God, putting yourself in the driver's seat of your life and putting God to the back exalting self to the center and wanting everyone to admire us. Nebuchadnezzar here in verse 30 is a picture of every individual in the world who lives for themselves. He's a picture of every individual who thinks of themselves more highly than they ought. He is a picture of every individual who forgets that apart from God we can do nothing. And if that's you this morning, do you realize how precarious your position is? You are continuing to reject and offend the God who has been so good to you. It's like God is holding you up from eternal wrath and judgment and you're just slapping him in the face even though it's him that's holding you. And if you slap him and he drops you, that's it, judgment forever. We'll see that next week in Belshazzar's account. God has given you everything, every breath. Will you not honor him? Well, in verse 31, we read that the words weren't even fully out of Nebuchadnezzar's mouth when a voice speaks from heaven. God speaks, tells him, 
his worst nightmare is about to become a reality. Verse 33, we read, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar that was portrayed in the dream. He became outwardly what he was on the inside in his pride, a brute beast. God brought him low. But remember, there was a word of hope given back in verse 26 to Nebuchadnezzar. He would be humbled in this way, but the kingdom would be restored to him if he would turn and acknowledge that heaven rules. Before we move on to the third scene, let me just ask, what is it going to take for you to acknowledge that heaven rules? What is it going to take? How long will you keep resisting and seeking to be your own God? It is the most liberating thing in the universe to not be in the driver's seat in your life. To give that place to God sets you free. That's how you flourish. When you don't say, I'm God, but when you say, he is God, that is liberating. So Nebuchadnezzar is humbled. He is reduced to beastly status symbolically depicting how awful pride is before a holy God. But that's not the end of the story. And here then we get the third scene when Nebuchadnezzar recounts how God graciously lifted him up out of that place of humiliation. Verses 34 to 37. In this final section, we get what we could call the confession of a humbled sinner. This is a confession that rightly acknowledges who God is and who man is. If you're here and you're wondering, well, what what do I have to do to humble myself before God? There's so much in this last scene to help you. In verse 34, Nebuchadnezzar says, at the end of the days, I lifted my eyes to heaven. His pride was finally broken, and he looked away from himself to God. His reason returned. He says that twice in this account. It is the most reasonable thing in the world to surrender your life to God. He starts to bless and praise and honor the one true, most high, eternal God. Now, there are four truths that characterize his confession here. The first thing he does is he confesses the sovereignty of God. His dominion, this is the last part of verse 34, his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. What's he saying there? He's essentially, okay, he's saying essentially God rules, I don't. He's sovereign, I'm not. Look at the end of verse 35. None can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nebuchadnezzar confesses the sovereignty of God. That is the first thing any sinner must do to humble their heart before God. Say, okay, God, you are God. I'm not God. Second, he confesses the weakness and neediness of humankind. Verse 35. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. 
You see, there is no true knowledge of the self without a knowledge of God. When he recognizes the greatness and grandeur and majesty of God, he looks at himself and goes, Lord, compared to you, we are dust. We are nothing. Third thing he does, he confesses God's righteousness. Verse 36, God returned to Nebuchadnezzar his reason and his kingdom, and now he was a man with a renewed mind, a deep appreciation of where everything he had came from. And in verse 37, he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. Notice he doesn't look back now that he's enlightened and say, God, you did wrong to me in treating me that way. You were over the top, Lord. He sees God and he says, all your works are right and all your ways are just. You are good. He's like the author of Psalm 119, verse 71, who said, it's good for me that I was afflicted so that I would learn. I would learn your statutes, learn your truths. You know, that is something that's so helpful for us if we're going through afflictions and hardships today. None of it is wasted. God has a design in all of it, all of it to teach us, to humble us, to draw us near to himself. None of our pain is wasted. It all has meaning under the hand of a sovereign God. All his works are right. All his ways are just. The fourth thing Nebuchadnezzar then confesses with thanksgiving is that God is able to humble the proud. It's like he's saying, he did that in my life, and he can do it in others too. Hallelujah, what a savior. That's what he's saying. Remember, he's giving his testimony. What's the last word? Those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. If anyone has learned that lesson, it's me, says Nebuchadnezzar. And what does he want us to do with that? He wants us to learn from his story. He wants people like him who are proud and filled with unbelief. He wants them to learn God can humble you. Humble yourself before him now, before God has to step in and humble you. Now I said at the beginning that this chapter is in the Bible as both an encouragement to us and a challenge for us. Let's just close now by wrapping back around to think specifically of how this encourages us and how once again it challenges us. If you're a Christian here this morning. Nebuchadnezzar's story is your story. We, by nature, were proud, we loved our self-sufficiency, and we were totally blind to it. God opened our eyes. God came to us in our lowest state, and he saved us. We were beasts in our sin. And God came to us and transformed us. He restored us. He restored our reason to us. Helped us to see the sense of pride and rebellion against God. He gave us his son, the Lord Jesus. The whole of the Old Testament drives towards how the Old Testament shadows and messages are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. God the Father gave his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, we're going to be thinking about this in just a a, a little few weeks away time when we get into the Advent season. Jesus humbled himself so that we could be lifted up. Jesus humbled himself. 
Think of Nebuchadnezzar being humbled, going low, becoming a beast. Jesus went low when he entered into this world. He humbled himself through life as a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He humbled himself by bearing our pride and arrogance on himself on the cross. He humbled himself by taking our humiliating, beastly judgment and death. Jesus became the beast on the cross so that we could become beautiful, transformed by grace, filled with hope-filled humility. You know as well as I do, there's a movie out there called Beauty and the Beast. It's great. I've watched it with my daughter many times. Well, Jesus became the beast so that we could be beautiful. He took the humbling that was required for us to be lifted up. That's at the center of the book of Daniel. The shadowy outline, one humbled and then exalted. We can now be restored by embracing the act of Christ's humiliation as our salvation. He was humbled so that we wouldn't have to be. That's the gospel. That's how you're saved from your pride. That's how you're saved from your arrogance. That's how each one of us, though we may profess Christ and be Christians, we still struggle with pride. We still find it within. But here's our hope. One bore our pride and paid the debt for it so that we could be saved and not have to face the consequences of it. That's incredible grace. He broke through into your hard heart and he can break through into others. That's how this is here to encourage us. Nebuchadnezzar looks back. Those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. Now you think of the person you've been praying for, perhaps some of you for years. Could be your prodigal son, your prodigal daughter. It could be just that person you know who walked away from the faith and they're now so aggressive against Christianity. Keep praying for them. Keep witnessing to them. Stay patient. Stay faithful. Because God can humble them. Those who walk in pride. There's no heart so hard that God can't soften it in a second. Keep praying. This is to be an encouragement for us. But remember, this is not just to be an encouragement, it's also to be a warning. First, let me speak to you here this morning, if you're here and you're not a Christian. Let me just remind you of what we addressed earlier. God has given you a revelation He's given you a savior. He's given you a preacher. And he's given you a warning. Will you turn? You know, there's a passage in scripture where where the Lord speaks and says, all day long I have held out my hands to a proud, disobedient, and obstinate people. He's holding out his hands saying, come to me. Humble yourself. Embrace Jesus as your savior. Take yourself out of the driving seat and put me in the driving seat. Will you turn or will you in pride continue to go your own way? If that is the case, next week you're going to see what happens when God says, time's up. No more humbling. No more time. No more mercy. No more opportunities. 
Because next week we're going to see someone who's humbled and not restored. We're going to see someone who's humbled and ends up under the wrath of God eternally. Hell is a reality. God's holiness is a reality. And those who do not submit to God and receive Jesus Christ as their Savior from their pride and arrogance, they will go to hell. They will be under the just judgment of God forever. The warning's here for you. The Savior Jesus is here for you. You will have no excuse in that day. And yet now is a day of grace where you can say yes. You can do what Daniel said. Nebuchadnezzar, you've got to repent. You've got to turn away from your life of arrogance. You've got to turn away from your pride. Perhaps there's a chance for you to get out of this. And now we know at the side of the New Testament that the way for us to be saved from God's judgment is by receiving Jesus Christ. But once again, I don't think this is a warning just to those who are not Christians. I think this is also a warning, this chapter, for Christians. You see, it's easy for us to bow the knee before God, but then to go on in our Christian lives and to soon forget that God is God and we're not. We can get quickly self-sufficient and self-centered. We can get hard. We can slide back from a humble posture and walk around like we own the place. This passage calls us to keep cultivating humility at the center of our lives. How do we do that? Every day, I'd encourage you to preach the gospel to yourself. Tell yourself every morning how needy you are. God, I need you. You're God, I'm not. That's a good phrase for you to take in. As soon as you wake up, God, you're God and I'm not. Confess your need every day. Live near the cross, the greatest act of humility in history. Live your life there and say, Lord Jesus, apart from you, I can do nothing. Remember, 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you've not received? And stop strutting about as if you're the boss. Because you have nothing but what God has given you. Don't forget that. So, in light of this encouragement and this warning, how will you respond? Remember, the king's problem here was he did not respond to the light that was given to him. And any time we hear the word of God and we do not humble ourselves and worship, we are like him. How will you respond? Will this just be another sermon that fades away and you just get on with another week without responding appropriately to what God's calling you to? Or will you, just in your heart now, humble yourself and join with the long line of people. Nebuchadnezzar, the pagan king, is one of them. Join with the long line of people who were brought from a place of pride to a place of humble humility. Lifted up again, restored by God's grace, and forever who sing, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. Let's pray. Father, one of the beautiful truths in the New Testament is that you, you transform our minds. You take out that beastly, proud mindset and you give us the mind of Christ. And I pray as we respond this morning, if there's 
someone here this morning and the word has been touching them in a particular way and they sense in their heart the tug of the Holy Spirit, convicting them and saying, you've got to get right with God. I pray this morning that that person wouldn't go out of here without seeking help, turning to Jesus, humbling themselves before God and finding the life and the liberty that comes from that. Lord, if we're here and we're Christians and we've been just for a long time strutting around in pride, having forgotten that everything we have is from you, oh Lord, help us rightly to respond now and to renew our posture of humility before you and to give you again the throne of our heart. Those who walk in pride, you are able to humble. Oh Lord, we know that you oppose the proud and you give grace to the humble. We ask in Jesus' name, for our portion of grace to humble us and to raise us up so that we will become more beautiful to reflect the beauty of the humility of Christ. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, for our closing hymn this morning, we're going to sing of what I just prayed about, praying that the mind of Christ our Savior would live in us from day to day. This is a lovely hymn that speaks of us humbling ourselves so that we will grow more in grace. Let's stand as the musicians begin and respond with this hymn. face to shine on you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace in Christ Jesus our Lord.